you do not have the excuse that the king banned your ability to have a Bible. That's not a thing. This is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Eric. Hey there. And Tracy. Good morning. And she's alive. It's Karen. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording this. Karen just went through a little bit of a trial last night. A little bit of a storm. A little <laughs> you bit may have... of a yeah. tornado. Oh, oh, oh. In December of all things. That's, yeah. the, that's the baffling part of it. You know, our our listeners will have to remember, or unless this is your first time, that uh, we record a few weeks in advance, and it's not even Christmas here yet, and and uh, there was just a wicked, wi- wicked storm, as they say up in the Northeast, but um, ripping through Kentucky and ripped uh, through like four or five states. It wasn't yeah. just Kentucky, but well, all I know, all I care about is you, Karen. So, and you're in <laughs> Kentucky, so <laughs> I don't know those other people. No, it's it was bad. like I'll I'll be interested to find out on, on Monday if my office even exists because downtown was just apparently just shredded. Oh wow, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, we had a storm. Not I don't think it was that bad, but we had a you know it's been gosh what like twenty years or so I think now, but um, maybe not that long. But we had a pretty bad tornado that came close to us here several years ago and went for miles and miles and miles, and we'd never seen anything like it in the area and. And uh, yeah, it was just the devastation was um, was just phenomenal at the time. And and uh, I mean, the, the, during the, that storm, one of my coworkers, because um, the town that, she, that 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 came through, and it was an F five, it was a big deal. One of my coworkers was panicking at work that day, and just because her dogs were home in her house, and that's the town that she lived in, and it was right in the path, right? So she's just in a dither of terror. But of course, she's not allowed to drive home because we're all sheltering. <laughs> And uh, anyway, she she got home that night and she texted a bunch of a bunch of us and sent us a picture. Her house had literally been cut in two. Oof. So her house was right on the line of what got wiped out to the foundations and what was left standing. And like her sunroom and her kitchen and pantry and like part of a part of the living room were left standing. And then the rest of the house was gone. Wow. Tornadoes are so weird. They are so weird. Yeah. Anyway, it was headed right for me. Um, it paused. It shifted direction and went by my town instead of through my town. And it was like, okay, wow, wow, mm. wow. wow. And crazy. He- yeah, yeah. Phew. <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. But we're 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 glad that you're safe and with us here today. So this good news. Good news. Okay, well, our reading this week was, uh, as we said, it's a little bit all over the place. We started, we're going to start today talking about um, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, uh, 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23, and 2 Chronicles 34 and 35, which are essentially, not, they're basically mirror copies, not mirror copies of each other, but almost carbon copies of each other, as our listeners will remember that in the, there's times when those two books they just they kind of one might expand on the other and that's the case here and what we we get into the reign of Josiah in Judah so at, by this point now we're um we're at a point where Israel that had split off 
has just inst- in- interestingly it just sort of went away with a fizzle it was carried off by assyria but it just i mean it, we don't get a like this grand picture of when when um when israel disappeared it just sort of disappears and then we we're now following more closely the uh the kingdom of judah which is left over of the of the children of israel and amounts to a handful of the tribes um that were there obviously the 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 dominant most primary one probably being uh the tribe of judah and we've had a couple of kings since that fall of israel and uh, they were not great. We talked about the king uh, Manasseh, who was pretty terrible, and Ammon, who we didn't hear a whole lot about, but he was not great either. But now we get into Josiah. Now, Josiah is kind of an interesting guy here, it sounds like. He was eight years old when he became king. And I'm always amazed that people would make <laughs> make kings out of eight-year-old children. Because, I mean, what kind of wisdom is an eight-year-old going to have for running an entire nation? But uh, but this is, the, this is the way with monarchies, and, um, and so we get Josiah. You know, I think it was interesting, too, that we, we started it just like every other king that we looked at. Um, and we always talk about this, that, you know, he was eight years old when he started, but about four years later when he hit 12, that he started tearing down or was it wait when he was 16 16 yeah, 16 eighth year, of, eighth year of his reign mm-hmm. he, I think he went after the high places he started studying wasn't he yeah. yeah yeah and so he went after the high places you know mm-hmm. i think that was the biggest thing that was running rampant then was just getting away from god and he went after those and he he was you know cleansing the areas they said you know he went from city to city Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and just broke them all down, spreading them all over. So I think it was that part that, you know, we just kind of, you know, looked like the rest of the kings that this was one of the major things that they needed to do to get back on track and start to follow the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting to me how Josiah managed to to turn so differently from the way his father did. I mean, Ammon was his dad, and Ammon didn't he just what he was he was not a good king and he was not following the lord it makes me wonder because we don't really get an indication here of what it was about josiah that had him acting so differently what was it about his upbringing what was it about his experiences that had him working so diligently to follow god in contrast to his father and grandfather I mean, I guess you go all the way back to his great grandfather, who was um, I can't read. I can't. It, the, the, the lettering is too small there, and it's too dark in here. But um, anyway, his grandfather was one who did well, or great grandfather, I guess I should say. Yeah, Hezekiah. Hezekiah, thank you. Yeah, and I'm like <laughs> I'm trying to read it here, and my my old man eyes aren't aren't uh, picking it up. But um, but yeah, after after two fathers or two, well, okay two two terrible kings before him and josiah turns it around in a way like we haven't seen in a long time not at all he turns it around so strongly and i think as i was reading this that's the thing that same thought struck me matt is that we 
that our, our, our surroundings and our, um, and our genetics do influence us. Mm-hmm. But we've kind of gotten to a point in society right now where we feel like they determine us, not influence us. Right. And we're just going to throw up our hands and say, well, what can I do? You know, that's just where I came from. That's just my people. There's nothing I could do different about that. And then we're just like, go with the flow, whatever it's going to be. It's like, well, they were just born to be rich. Well, they were just born to be poor. Well, they're just born to be violent and abusers. And it's just like, it's just, this really contradicts that. Because, yeah, we, we, we see it the other way around, too. Because Hezekiah's son was awful. And he had all the advantages. He had the whole reign of his father before him that um, that was, for the most part, very good. And he turned out to be rotten. And mm-hmm. we've here we've got um, Josiah. And, and this is where the difference between Kings and Chronicles and so on comes up, is that Chronicles says that he was eight years old when he became king. Mm-hmm. He began to seek God at 16 years old. He basically matured in his walk with God for four years, and then he dropped the clutch. He just took off on his mission to purify the nation. And we're given almost no information as to why he did what he did, but he did it. Boy, here in 2 Kings 22, 2, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father, which just a little note here for our listeners is that Old Testament things will say father. And so trying to follow chronology, just every time it says father is going to throw you way off because David, right. nowhere near his father. He's hundreds of years earlier. Yep. They just mean in his character. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And he didn't. He just kept the pedal to the floor the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, it's just very interesting how he goes all out on that. I, I was kind of seeing this as a fulfillment of when God says, if you seek me with all your heart and all your soul, you'll find me. Because um, throughout or through all of this, and Josiah once again is ordering restoration of the temple. And I'm thinking, how many times did this temple get trashed? Mm-hmm. Because, because it's like, once again, uh, we gotta, we gotta fix it up. Or it was the primary focus too, you know, just um, not just trashing out, but abandoning it and closing it up and using it as a storage unit, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, and worse as we're gonna get into here a little bit uh, in a little while. But, but so yeah, he 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 orders this restoration of the temple and. Uh, they go in to find the money that's been stored there, which is, I mean, okay. So you, you store the, you store the, uh, the money that's been collected for the temple in the temple that I, that I get, but as they're, as they're cleaning that money out to be given to, uh, all the workers. And honestly, when I was reading this, I'm thinking, didn't we read almost this exact thing once before? And I couldn't remember exactly which King it was, but it was almost the exact, exact thing where, where, we're restoring the temple. We're not really paying attention too too closely to where the money's going because the workers are doing a good job. They're being honest with it. Which, well, no, the last thing, it happened opposite last time. They were collecting the money, and it never got to the workers. And right, they're like, that's well, right. What happened? Is it all been embezzled? And this yeah. time, the king's like, no, 
they're going to they're going to be honest. Don't worry about it. And and for our listeners and for us, because the stories bounce back and forth between Second Chronicles thirty four thirty five and Second Kings twenty two twenty three, the the things we're talking about will be in one of those places. <laughs> yeah, straight line as to which one we pull the comment from. Yeah, I usually try to put down what uh, verse, chapter, and verse I got things from, but in this case, I just have. I just got notes and tried to keep it in order. But um, yeah, yeah. To get the full picture, you got to bounce back and forth and read through both of those. Uh, But yeah, so this money is getting is getting distributed. But as they're pulling the money out and bringing it to uh, Hilkiah, the high priest, he finds the book of the law in there, which has me thinking, Okay, somebody obviously thought that this was important enough to keep, but not important enough to pay attention to. <laughs> or, or hide. You know, what was going on in the temple that maybe they hid it? Maybe. Could be. Uh, the shocking part to me is that the high priest, let this sink in, the high priest of the nation in in Second uh, Kings and in uh, 22 and in Second Chronicles 34, same story, he finds the law. That's kind of like saying, "Hey, the uh, the uh, the we've elected a new president, and somebody found this document, and it says it's quote the Constitution. Wonder what that says." And we're like, "Oh my word! How did you get that far off mm-hmm. that nobody, including the high priest, is even aware of where this book of the law is?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, baffling, just baffling to me. I am currently having memory memories of having worked in government and many, many times where somebody says, wasn't there a thing here somewhere that said this? Oh, I don't know. I haven't heard that. No, no, no. I've been here for this many years and I'm pretty sure somewhere here there's a thing that says this. Well, mm-hmm. can you find it? Well, I mean, no. No, I don't I don't have a clue where it is, right? And somebody somewhere will stumble across this thing tucked away on a back shelf, clearly marked where somebody put it because at one point they were like, "Okay, this is going to be important. We're going to need to know where this is. I'm going to put it here so it never gets lost." Mm. But then if nobody uses it regularly, if nobody refers to it, it never gets pulled off the shelf and then, you know, people switch out this person retires, this person moves to a different position, this person goes over here and works, you you forget where it is, you forget that it was important, the new people don't even know it exists, or they only know it exists in theory. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a multifaceted process of losing things. <laughs> yeah. So you have first-hand experience. No, I, I can believe it. I mean, I've sat on a few, I've sat on church boards and school boards and stuff, and, you know, there's somebody taking taking minutes and I'm always thinking, what what do you do with those? How do you ever remember what everybody said? Sure, we have it written down and we store it away somewhere, but who remembers where it's at and how do you ever find it again? You know, and because I think it relies on people going, you know, I think you have to refer back to it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not enough to know that it was done. You have to refer back to it if you want right. to use it as your guidestones. Yeah, yeah, and so just the fact that nobody seems to know, nobody realized it was gone. Um, tells us maybe all we really need to know uh, about the state of things. Yeah, it's fascinating that Josiah starts this reform 
before they find the book. Mm-hmm. He's doing what he can with what he feels he must feel. I mean, we have to figure out where the, he must feel convicted. I guess I would look at this and say, well, the Holy Spirit was leading him because his heart was in the right place. He starts this reformation, and then they find the book of the law, and then they read it, and they're like, oh. And then Josiah's like, oh, wow, we are even farther off course than I thought. Mm. But yeah. basically, my point is, he didn't wait until he had all of the information to start doing what he already knew was the right thing. You know, I had I had in my notes that, you know what, maybe it was, you know, they had to show themselves worthy of um, reformation and cleansing at this point that they were entrusted with it again. You know, I, I took it as maybe it was hidden and, and put away because of the last few kings and, you know, so it didn't get destroyed or anything like that. And now it was able to be, you know, enough trust was was found in Josiah to say, okay, here, you know what, I'll let you find this and continue on with what you've started. Mm-hmm. Could be. Yeah. Well, that's why I said it kind of seemed like a fulfillment to me of when you're when you're looking for God with all your heart and all your soul that you'll find him. I know I'm sort of messing up the quote there, but as Josiah is really, really making an effort to follow God, really trying to make an effort to do the right thing, that's when it gets found. This was it's uh, sort of interesting to me because uh, this is an opportunity then for them to get closer to God, to really see what it is he wants from them and and act on it as uh, as they're making an effort, or at least as Josiah is making that effort. Because, yeah, so the that that book gets then brought to Josiah and it's read to him. And I was uh, doing another study this week and they were suggesting in that study that this might have been the book of Deuteronomy, where um, as you read through the book of Deuteronomy, you see a lot of those uh, laws spelled out. I mean, we get even a, a recount of the Ten Commandments and things like that. But so there, there was, you know, lots of laws and and and. Uh, rituals. I don't like the word rituals, but you know what I mean. Uh, just different ways to serve God spelled out in that book. So uh, I think you're right, because not only is are there, because Leviticus is full of laws, but Deuteronomy has something else. It's the blessings if you follow and the curses if you don't. Mm-hmm. The, the, the inevitable curses. And so this is where Hilkiah, Helkiah, again, not an expert in ancient names, um, <laughs> They I was don't counting on really, you. Was, hey? I was counting on you. <laughs> yeah, well, let you down. <laughs> so they call Huldah the prophetess, which is really interesting because you've got the hill in this male-dominated society. You have a prophetess who is recognized as a prophetess who is operational. I mean, the high priest goes to her, mm-hmm. and she's probably alive at the same time that Jeremiah is. You know, and so my point is, is that God uses who God uses for his reasons, and it's not always who we expect. Right. So Hilkiah, Hilkiah, or probably a third option, is, it's the right one. <laughs> they take this, this uh, prophecy, probably Deuteronomy, I would agree with you, to her, and they're like, what does this mean? And she's like, yeah, it means just what it says. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're in deep trouble because um, the nation has done the wrong thing for so long. But you, this is, this is cool because there's an in, it, God 
is merciful on individuals, even the midst, in the midst of corporate idolatry. In Second uh, Kings twenty two nineteen, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and its inhabitants that they should become a desolation and a curse, and I have torn your clothes and wet, and you have torn your clothes and wet before me. I also have heard you. And then there's a prophecy that she makes specific to Josiah. You shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see the disaster that I will bring upon this place. Yeah. Uh, it is, it's, it's, uh, it's refreshing. It's, um, maybe that's not the right word. It's, it's good to see that when somebody makes that effort to follow God, that God grants them a little peace and, and grace aside from what's coming from all around, because, because there it's, it's pretty clear that the area is not going to do well. And I mean, if we just keep looking down through history and we've got got the next few kings of Israel, we can see that it's going to be several kings in a row that do do evil, if you will, um, before before Judah disappears, too. Yeah, and, yeah I, uh, I think this is interesting because here in we get the end of Josiah, I think, in Kings, where it looks like he just went away in peace. In Chronicles, we find out it was a little bit of a, he took a little bit of a turn. And I think this goes to what we've talked about in prophecy. There's the prophecy of what's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then there's what happens based on our choices. Mm-hmm. And I'm, so I was a little interested between the two books where you, you, the details of everything that Josiah was doing to try to restore worship, because it sounds like, or maybe he, he started getting rid of things before they found the law. And then maybe he really ramped it up afterwards because some of the things that we, we start hearing about after he gets the law, you're like, wow, you were working so hard to get rid of the stuff before. And you got a whole lot (laughs) left to go, um, afterwards. But, um, one of the first things he does is he calls all the elders together and says, okay, look, we got to, we got to step it up and we're going to, we're going to keep this covenant. We're all going to, first he reads it to them and then says, we're going to, we're going to follow these commands. They go, they start pulling out everything that's made for Baal and Asherah. They take it outside and they, of Jerusalem and burn it. Um, they had remove idolatrous priests Wooden image, it says a wooden image taken from the, it was taken from the temple and it was burned, ground to ashes um, and scattered on the graves of, of people. What were they using the temple for? This is such, it's so. Did you, did you guys see the part where in there they even had horses and chariots that had been dedicated to the sun? Yes. Mm-hmm. And they yes. were keeping them in the temple next to so-and-so's rooms. And I was just like, wait, What? How did the temple end up used for this stuff? I know they're using it as, as a stable. And and then not only that, but it's talking about these ritual booths that they tore down. These booths were inside the temple somehow. I don't know if they're in the Ugh. courtyard. I don't know if they're inside, but they're like little places to go for Ritual prostitution. He said ritual sodomy and prostitution. This stuff yeah. is happening inside the temple. I just, yep. oh man, when I was reading that, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. How does this happen? How does a, how do we get to the point where our 
like national place of worship has become a brothel and a stable and it's like everything is getting worshipped there except for the actual God of yeah. heaven. Yeah, not only has it become those things, but it's still considered a place of worship. Right. Like the idea yeah. still hasn't changed, but the usage of it and how, how that worship happens has taken a very sharp left. Ugh. You know, yeah. I used to wonder why God allowed the temple to be destroyed. Because, I mean, we had this amazing, I mean, this thing is like one of the most amazing buildings ever built if you, from what we studied a while back about it and thinking that god allowed this thing to be destroyed now i'm i get it yeah because because i mean how how can the people ever really look at this place and think yeah that's where i'm going to go to worship the god of heaven the one who created me when it has been used for every possible other purpose wow i'm just i was just flabbergasted so desecrated but i think it 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 um, tells you how far that they had gone under, you know, the previous kings. It's like it was bad. Yes. Yeah. To yeah. say the least. Right. So I, I think that in defense of the people, I would say that it was probably not hard for them to move on. Like there's a reason that the Bible describes us as as a grass that withers away. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and that is because our generations come and go, but so I don't think that the people who worshiped sincerely in the temple years, decades after this happened, even centuries, I don't think that they were necessarily aware and horrified of all of the misuses in the past. Mm -hmm. So God was aware of it. God was aware of it. But I don't think that those generations of people were like you're saying, well, how could they go there? I don't think they were aware of it like that. Like the it was after Christ that the temple was was destroyed. Well, the next one was the next one. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. but I wonder, too, if it just it it stands to reason that this was what God was saying. It's like, you know what? You cannot take a stand. You just keep wavering so much to the point of when the pendulum swings one way. In Exodus, you know, you get what we're reading right now. And it takes a a 16-year-old to come in here and make sweeping reforms. And you go with those, too. But you'd never hold fast. Mm -hmm. Do Have any of you ever heard any indication of how literate the people, the common people were of the time? I'm suspecting probably not very many. My guess would be the Levites and priests were probably the most educated and the reason, but they certainly didn't know the law, um, right? And and how did that happen? I don't know. And and part of the the fact that they didn't know this stuff makes what happens in fourteen through twenty uh, verses fourteen through twenty of Second Kings twenty three really amazing. Um, Josiah goes to Bethel. And this is a big – we see Bethel pop up once in a while, and, and in the prophecies we see this allusion to Bethel. And what this is is where Jeroboam set up the first of two golden calves. This isn't the golden calf of, of Moses and Aaron days. This is when – this is right after Judah and Israel split into two kingdoms, and Jeroboam was the ruler of the kingdom of Israel. Uh, which I think is the northern tribes, right? Correct me if I'm wrong there. 
And he builds two golden calves because he doesn't want his people going to Jerusalem to worship because he feels like, well, that will weaken my political position. And so I need to make their worship easier and keep them all close to me for my political strength. And so I'll make these golden calves and say, well, this is really God. We're going to worship. It's the same God, but we're just going to do it here. It's more handy. It'll be a little easier. And let's just do this to give you some idea. And he tears this down. Okay, so Josiah tears this down. This has been going on. I did a little bit of research for 18 kings of Israel. For 16 kings of Judah and roughly 300 years, 300 Mm. years, this has been going on. And Josiah's like, seriously? No, this stops here. And he he, he's the first one of all the all the reformers we've read about before. He's the first one that says, no, this is going down. And he takes it down. He burns it up. This whole thing is prophesied in first Kings 13, one and two. We get this really interesting story where this prophet just shows up. He's unnamed and he shows up and he prophesies against the altar. It's super interesting. First Kings 13, one and two. And the the prophet says there's going to be a king, Josiah by name, like 300 years earlier. Right. And Josiah has no idea of this. Neither do his parents, because remember, they couldn't even find the book of the the law. So it's not yeah. like they knew this was a prophecy coming and going like, oh, let's name our kid this and he'll do these famous things. Not at all. It just happened. And Josiah does this. They burn the stuff down. They they sacrifice the the priests of these false gods mm-hmm. on the they, they're basically they're executed on the altars and they're burned on the altars and their bones are burned. And all of this stuff was prophesied. Hundreds of years earlier, and Josiah just does it. All of this reminds me very much of Cain and Abel, which how many generations into sin and sinful human nature is that? And there there have not been generation after generation in which for teachings to be corrupted and the law to be misunderstood. It, these are the children of Adam and Eve. And Abel worships how they've been told to. And Cain worships how he wants to because it's more convenient to him. It fits into his life better. It's easier for him. And so he just decides that he will worship that way. And the response from God is not really any different than it was generations later when people were still doing the exact same thing. And that that again shows out this thing that we've been talking about over the last few few podcasts about how when it comes when it comes down to God, there really only is right and wrong. There aren't these inter- intermediate shades of gray where we get to take the idea of worship, make it our own, and go charging off in that direction. Like mm-hmm. God is God, and He does not change because we change, mm-hmm. which is both frustrating. And a relief. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I suspect that the people, they were largely probably just going off of what they were told. Yeah. When we've got we've got these people in authority. I mean, when you look to a church figure and they're saying this is the way it is, it's the way we're going to do it. And the people going, well, OK, because, um, I, I, you know, I don't think. Well, obviously, people didn't have widespread uh, uh, availability of 
scripture like we do now um, to be able to discern these things. And we've seen, you know, we've seen problems even through uh, Christian history, you know, past, you know, in Christian church history of ideas just being brought in and people going, okay. And then up until we started getting the Reformation and people started having the Bible to read for themselves and could study to, to be able to counteract uh, all these things being brought on by by church leaders that were for whatever purposes, you know. But when people were able to start reading for themselves, then they're able to now we're able to start seeing differences, which I think is probably why maybe now why we have so many different denominations, which I think is maybe actually a good thing, because within all of that, then there is truth preserved. You have to search for it. You can't just go to one place and find it, but uh, it's it's there to be found. So I like I like people who are interesting thinkers. And uh, so when I'm when I'm choosing things to watch or, you know, news to consume or whatever, I'm always interested in hearing people who I know are an interesting thinker, their perspective on current events. And I I recently saw a thing where um, Joe Rogan interviewed Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you guys know who Jordan Peterson is, Mm -hmm. but um, they were talking about, like, how does society get so far off the mark? Like, how does that happen? And then everyone looks up and they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We thought we were here. How did we get way, way, way over this way instead? And 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 Peterson's response to that was, well, you do it a couple of millimeters at a time. Like, I push you until you're slightly uncomfortable. And when I have you two millimeters past where you should be, I stop and I give you a break. And then later, when you've gotten more comfortable with it, I do it again. And I only move you two millimeters at a time. But after I've done that a number of times, you end up far past what you ever thought that you yourself would tolerate or accept or embrace. And there you are tolerating, accepting and embracing it. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of a sermon that you preached, Eric, where you gave the analogy of climbing a mountain. Once you're out of the tree line and you're into the shale field, you know, your sort of immediate landmarks are gone. And you're trying to get to the peak, like obviously you're trying to get to the peak, but you if you've got your head down judging your next step, you maybe lose sight of where the peak is. Because if if you focus on your next step, it's pretty easy to end up way off track. And then all of a sudden you look up and the peak's way over there to your right. Like, oh, no, that's I thought it was I thought I was I was just taking the next step in front of me that seemed right at that moment, right? And it doesn't necessarily lead you where you're trying to get. And as as I was reading this week's readings, I thought of both of those things. And I was like, mm, yeah, yeah, pretty easy to get off track and not even realize it until you're miles off track. Yeah, 100 percent. I think that in the days of, of uh, the, let's just say the average citizen of uh, Josiah or Manasseh or any of these people, they kind of just, like you said, Matt, they followed their leaders. Mm-hmm. And. This is a thing that goes way, 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 way back. I mean, I'm out Carmel. It's like, which where are you going to go? We yeah. just keep wavering. And and I would have a bit more patience and say, well, you know, what could they do? Because they didn't all have a dozen Bibles in their homes. This is not the case of our world today, at least not in the American world. <laughs> we have our Bibles we have opportunity to go straight to the source 
And my challenge to all of our listeners is you need to do the same. You do not have the excuse that the king banned your ability to have a Bible. That's not a thing. Uh, There are probably places in the world where you're not allowed to have a Bible. Well, in fact, I know that that's true. But that's not the case in North America. Okay, it just is not. And if we choose ignorance versus we are forced ignorance, there is a totally different level of accountability that we're held to. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I I get a little frustrated at times when people are like, yeah, I went to find my Bible and I dusted the, you know, <laughs> I swept the dust off of it. And I was like, oh, man. Oh, and. You know, I there's been times in my life where that was the case too, though. So I mean, I don't I don't hold too much judgment against people who have done that. We're not, I you know, our society isn't uh, just isn't isn't as as God centric as well. Obviously, we need to be. But um, yeah, and this isn't a judgment. This is this is an invitation to say, yeah. hey, we all have that same opportunity that Josiah was granted when they're like, hey, look what we found. He's like, what? What? Let's read it. It's mm-hmm. like we have that chance today yeah and along with that i would say when when you look around at the world do you think do you think that it's going the right direction Hmm. and and if you do okay maybe that's a different podcast but if you don't you know get into the bible and i think you'll probably find the standard of character that you're looking for Mm -hmm. since character is and i said it that way because character is what leads to behavior Yes. And uh, if you're looking at the world and looking at 2021 going, oh, it can only look up from here. Like, mm, well, I, I don't think that's true. Yeah, Revelation like, says that's not true. It's like, yep, yeah, read. Let's let's go read what it's talking about. And you're going to see that now it's probably not. So you better uh, you better buckle up. You know? Yes, yes. it's there is there is one savior. And the Bible points quite clearly to the fact that that is God. It is not any of the other idols that we have chosen to put in there are too many to name um that we would put before god but it's him yeah and josiah this is this is again this is so much amazing stuff happens he has the passover we're like okay cool other kings have kept the passover before and so on but what really it blew me away is that it says that there I'll read it. It's it's Second uh, Kings twenty three twenty two. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges wow. who judged Israel. There had never been a Passover like this in the time of David, in the time of of um, Solomon, in the time of Hezekiah. No king ever in the history of the nation had had a Passover like this since before they had a king. That's just yeah. mind blowing to me. Yeah, such a pivotal point in their history being being kept by Passover. I mean, that would be like here in the United States having Independence Day and without fireworks. I don't know. You know, I mean, no, it's just like, it, yeah, it's like <laughs> the biggest holiday of their religious tradition. And they're like, oh, yeah, we've never really done this before. Like like this. This is amazing. And I guess it just points out to me that that even God's people here had lost, they'd gone so far astray that they got there. And it's amazing that Josiah was like, no, we're doing this all. There's nothing Josiah did halfway. Right. Right. Yeah. And in part of that, in part of that keeping of the Passover, 
Josiah orders for the Ark to be put back in the temple. And it's another time I'm going, what were they doing with it? Where, it, you know, it sounds like some of the Levites have been taken care of it because he says it's not going to be your burden anymore. But it's like, why? It's supposed to be in the temple. Why isn't it in the temple? It's just because they had horses in there, Matt. They had yeah, well, to make yeah. room for the horses to the sun god. And yeah. the brothels. Yeah, well, it makes me brothels. wonder, you know, yeah. we got that whole most holy place where they like, hey, that looks like a nice separate room. We can put the horses back there. That's my speculation. But I mean, it's just like, my gosh, what in the world? Yeah. And they went, well, what's this box doing here? I don't know. It's kind of pretty. Let's get it out of here so we don't ruin it. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Just Again, uh, it's, it's an invitation to look at, for us right now, to look at the Bible and say, what is God calling us to do now? Yeah. You know, it's just we can't we cannot rely on the televangelists or the YouTubers or as much as I like all of us the podcasters. We've got to go to what? God's word. I know. Right. <laughs> I'm so upset with you right now, Eric. It's the, millions, the, we, it's the millions we move. <laughs> <laughs> right. So so to our millions of listeners. um, <laughs> but it's the invitation to whoever it is that hears this to go to God's word and look at what he has said to you and look at it without any of the filters that society, religion, commentators have and just say, God, what do you want from me? And maybe you will have an epiphany like Josiah does and say, oh, OK, well. I'm getting on with this and you just do it, whether it's the popular thing to do or not. And God, um, God will recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. So important to read it for yourself and to know it. And we are in such a position to be able to do it. And boy, we should really be thankful that we have the opportunity that we can have, <laughs> that we can have a dusty Bible in the corner to go to and pick it up. A couple of Bible verses are coming to mind. Um, there's a, in the New Testament, it says, um, it says, times of ignorance God winks at, but now calls everyone to repentance, right? So mm -hmm. when you learn, you're, you're responsible to live up to that, right? Yeah. And then the other thing I was reminded of was when um, when Jesus would call people, he would, he would always say, you know, now that I've cleared up these issues in your life, now stop sinning. Like, go and sin no more, go and sin no more, go and sin no more, right? Like, now you know what the issues are, and sometimes he would have even healed them and helped them clean up from the, the outfall of what they'd been doing. Now it's time to go and sin no more. Like, now change course. Yep. Well, so the story moves on here a little bit, and Josiah <laughs> decides to go up and battle against uh, Nico of Egypt, who was, I didn't write down who Nico was coming to fight against, but uh, Josiah decided. It was the Assyrians. Oh, okay, makes mm -hmm. sense. Well, now that doesn't make sense to me. But because, because Josiah decides to go up and fight against the Egyptians on this, the Assyrians who have just been besieging and, and whatnot, all of Israel and Judah. But anyway, he goes up to fight against Nico of Egypt and Nico I was like that too. I thought that was so weird. Like, dude, what are you thinking? Yeah. Uh, and Nico, even Nico says this. It's yeah. Yeah. this isn't from second Chronicles. Um, King Nico of Pharaoh 
says to him, says to Josiah, what have we to do with each other? Cease opposing God. And it says the words of Nico were from the mouth of God. And I read that as a warning to us today. Like you don't have to, you don't have to jump into every fight. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, there's an opportunity to fight. I'm in. It's like, I, I really wonder if Josiah didn't ruin the end of his own prophecy that he would die in peace. Maybe he thought, you know what? I'm invincible. I can do. Jesus is my seatbelt. I can go do whatever I want to. And <laughs> instead of just being like, you know what? I need to mind my own business and deal with the things I'm called to deal with. He doesn't. He jumps in. He gets killed. Like, did that have to be the end of Josiah? I really wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting point. Very good. Discernment is what jumped out to me about that. Because, I mean, not too many weeks ago, we were reading about how like the the commander of the bad guys comes to Israel and says, your God is the one that told me to come and destroy you, and I'm going to do it because your God is with me, and you shouldn't even fight back. Sennacherib and, and Hezekiah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and he was lying. He was yep. straight up lying. And then this guy comes, and he's like, I'm here at your God's command. Why are you in my way? And he is speaking from God. So, like, discernment. Yeah. discernment like israel in both of those situations could have had very strong opinions based on about who was who was speaking god's words and who wasn't speaking god's words based on like well you know based on their own perception of god's words but the 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 answer to each of those situations was to go to god with dis- and ask for discernment and pray and then believe what you hear yeah. mm-hmm. and, and act in harmony with what god has asked you to do and in the case of Hezekiah, Sennacherib was basically saying, get your idols back out. And, yeah, you know, I mean, even a, even a quick glance at what God had asked them to do would tell you mm, that's not the right thing. Yeah, it's just very interesting of why. Why in the why in the world he chose to jump out there at all, especially against like in defense of the Assyrians. That baffles me. Yep. And against against this pharaoh who he didn't have any quarrel with it's just yeah very very strange and he he dies in battle he to, i mean to the point where he disguises himself so that he can fight against this what? king i oh mean he goodness. was so adamant about fighting against this egyptian king that he he disguises himself so that that egyptian king won't say don't shoot that guy and and as a result, he ends up getting shot by by uh, uh, archers' arrows, and and he dies. And and look what he opens the door to. Nico mm-hmm. stays involved with Israel's king after that, yeah. mm. and kind of runs, you know, like extracts extracts um, money out of Israel. Yeah, it's kind of like the classic. It's the it's the bully picks on the on the uh, on someone else, and the the, the the someone else is like, look, I don't want to fight you, and the bully pushes it and then gets punched in the nose and knocked down. It's like, okay, well, you asked for it, so here you go. Yeah. And Israel or Judah in this case gets knocked down unnecessarily. And that's that's Josiah. Yep, that's it. That's the end of Josiah. And then Jehoiakim takes over. For like and, 10 seconds. Yeah. Well, and we'll get into we'll get into him in the future. But um because we're gonna, we'll end up stepping away from the end of Chronicles and Kings, but for a while. 
So now for our reading, we are going to step away from these uh, the Kings and Chronicles, and we are going to look at the book of Nahum, N-A-H-U-M. I don't know if it's Nahum, Nahum. I, doesn't really matter, I guess. Uh, don't get don't get hung up on that kind of stuff. Um, one of those books that when you're trying to find it, you will flip past it a whole bunch of times. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually a little embarrassed to say that I had to go to the table of contents to find it because I kept going, I know it's here. I know it's here. I know it's here. And I was just, you you know, you just flip past it and you don't know. And then finally you just give up and go to the table of contents because otherwise my Bible is pretty well trained. It goes right where I want it to. But this time it was being stubborn and I had to I had to go to the table of contents for it. But Nahum. Now, this is an interesting this is an interesting book. It's basically a prophecy given against Assyria, the Assyrian Empire to uh Nineveh now we'll remember Nineveh was where Jonah had been sent because they were they were behaving badly and God wanted to save them and so he sent Jonah Jonah didn't want to go but he eventually does and as he delivered the message they repented they turned around and uh started to worship God which made Jonah mad which is you know it's it's a, it's a humorous yet sad story and you can go back and and read that story if you like, or go back and find uh, our podcast on it. But um, or go watch the Veggie Tales movie. <laughs> it's probably one of the best renditions of the story of Jonah. It's fantastic. Which which Matt will now act out for us. Let's run to Nahum. We said we were going to get through Nahum. <laughs> we'll go to Nahum. Yeah, we're like yeah. Before we got it, it's like, do we have time? And everybody's like, yes. And then I went off a t- on a tangent. Thank you very much. So anyway. <laughs> Fall of the Assyrian Empire. Now, Karen, you told us about when you thought this book was written. Do you remember what you said? Like yeah. seventh something? Yeah. So it is written in about 713 BC. Okay. So written in about 713 BC. And my one of my Bibles is saying that the fall of the Assyrian Empire didn't happen until about 612 BC, remembering yep. that we count down up until to to Christ and then, then we come back up. So so okay, hang, this hang on. I can I can get more specific than that. Okay. There's a specific um marker in here, which is in Nahum 3 8. Okay. It says where it's talking to Nineveh. And he Mm -hmm. says, are you better than Thebes situated on the Nile with water around her? The river was her defense. The water's her wall. And that is past tense, right? Mm -hmm. Yet she was so she had boundless strength. She had great allies. Yet she was taken captive, taken into exile. And all these horrible things happen. That's the primary marker. Like this, when this book was written, it's pointing to when that happened Mm. now i found um a bunch of different historical markers but that reference when the city of thebes was taken down it went down to assyria in 663 bc Mm. so you see there's a little bit of conflict with within the timelines when i when i looked up the the like when i looked up when the book of Jonah was written. I found a hundred year span of what scholars think. 
It was like between 860 BC and 760 BC. So there's like there's a little bit of fluctuation that, but that is a solid historical marker that we can look at. Thebes is referred to in the past tense, and Thebes got conquered in 663. Mm. So we're okay. looking at about 51 years. Yeah. So yeah, and anyway, this book was written before the fall. Yeah, is really the point that we're getting at here. Uh, and the dates are are make it very make it interesting. But the point being that this was given before the fall, and it's addressed to the Assyrians, but it's probably there more to give encouragement to the people of Judah who are left over of the Israelites. And it was most likely at least this is according to notes in my um, cultural relevance Bible. It was probably written down and given to the king of Assyria and then placed in an archive and checked from time to time to verify or or discount whether things had actually happened in it. So that's just sort of interesting where we see we see a prophecy basically for the Israelites, but given to a different king who who it's about here. You know, I think, too, that we look with any prophecy, I think it usually starts out with with giving God's character, his power. And then what's his purpose? What's he doing it for? And I think it just follows the same thing here. When, when we look and he tells them, you know, it's I'm the I'm powerful. This is what I'm going to do. And this is the reason I'm doing it. But I think I liked in my notes that I put, you know, that he does mention past things, especially Egypt, which was, you know, like we've been saying in the past, it's it was a powerful civilization at that time. And it he you know, makes reference to, you know what, they thought they were safe in between the waters, but they weren't. Mm -hmm. uh, so the follow-up, um, the follow-up historical reference on when Nineveh was actually conquered was 612. Yeah. yeah so that's, that's, that's the rest of that sequence. So we yeah. know that, that it was prophesied somewhere in there, and then that's when it came to fruition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this whole thing, it starts out, talking about how it is the burden against Nineveh. And I guess, being totally honest, I didn't realize that Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. So that, you know, that's, this is, uh, I guess, and it's been such an ongoing story of Nineveh and Assyria. Uh, I just thought it was kind of fascinating. But, um, and it's talking about God's wrath on his enemies. Essentially, we talk about how God deals with wickedness. Um, he's jealous. He avenges. He's furious. He's got vengeance on adversaries. He reserves wrath for enemies. That's in verse two of Nahum chapter one. But then verse three, it turns right around. He's slow to anger. He's great in power, but he, and he will not acquit the wicked and he'll have his way. I thought that was kind of an interesting, an interesting picture of God where we see this verse of, of wrath. But then it turns right around and says, but... That's not really the way he wants to be. You know, that's not really what he wants to do. He's he's slow. He's slow to anger. He's very patient. This is a quote just basically right out of Exodus 34. Uh, Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. This is um, God talking to Moses. The Lord, the Lord is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who 
will by no means clear the guilty. Mm-hmm. So this is this speaks to the consistency of God and his invitation to repent. Yeah, that's basically what I got out of all of this week's reading was this idea of delayed judgment. So it reminded me of the, we already made reference to it once, it reminded me of the story of of Elijah and the prophets of, you know, the prophets of Baal. You know, how long will you people waver between two paths? If God is God, choose him. If Baal is God, choose him, right? But choose and then do it, right? And this idea of delayed judgment, like Josiah comes along and he he does what he's supposed to do and he makes some positive changes and he leads the people to do that. And because he does that, judgment is delayed, right? Mm-hmm. And then the same thing with Nineveh. Jonah goes to Nineveh and, you know, the, the end is near. He's one of those crazy prophets with the placard running up and down the street. The end is near, the end is near. And the people listen and they change, they repent. And so judgment is delayed. But that doesn't mean that every generation after that is saved based right. on the, the generation that repents behavior changes. Like each generation bears the weight of its own, of its own inconsistency in this case. <laughs> and and this this idea of delayed judgment, you know, it takes me back to Second Peter, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, which is basically the gist of what Eric just read out of Exodus. Do not so this is Second Peter three, starting in verse eight. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Right? So in other words, where are your, what are your idols? Is basically what I got out of that. Like, where is your focus? Mm-hmm. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, right? And that's our salvation. That's us. That's also that guy over there who makes you mad, the guy who cuts you off in traffic or is mean to you at work or who seems to be targeting you or who seems to be consistently picking on you. This is also societies, right? We've seen this over and over through the through the Old Testament is like judgment is reserved for the individual. Judgment also passes on larger groups. Their pun- people are are rewarded and punished. We see God moving in bigger ways, like like moves on a chessboard, like larger moves. You know, you move this one little pawn, but it makes this this overall effect on the game board of what's happening and where the where the movement is now going, the trajectory of movement. And it just I find it fascinating that the same call to larger groups is the same call to individuals like straighten up learn what the standards are put your honor and worship where it should be and then behave that way like actually make this happen in real life and anything that you focus on lower than god anything that you focus on is that a thing to help society operate you know like we we have a lot of like 
um, conflict and contention over over things like what happens with our money and like political stratagems and you know life choices and things like that like are those necessary to run a society to some point yes are they the answer to our problems no right and so when you're when you're thinking about your life the thing that really stood out to me this week was make sure that nothing is between you and the highest source of what is actually going on. There is an ultimate good and there is an ultimate evil and God is the ultimate good and he is working very hard to get the attention of the world on different levels. And if you hear that as an individual, it's up to you to step up, right? If we know all this is happening, what kind of people ought you to be? Like what Peter says here. And that was that was the thing that delayed judgment for the sake of current of the salvation or the reward of these people right here was the sort of theme that really stood out to me this week. Mm. Well, Nam goes on to talk about some aspects of God continuing on and and that idea of uh, where we you know his his slow to anger um, kind of points out some um, some of his influence over nature, how the way creation responds to his displeasure. It's like if God ain't happy, then you can see it in in uh, nature, which is not to say that every time something happens like a like a wicked storm ripping through Kentucky doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean this is wrath of God stuff. I'm not saying that, but in sort of a general sense, though, when God's will isn't being carried out, we can see that, you know, we can just kind of see even in nature that um, that we're not in harmony with it. You know, talks about who can stand, says uh, verse six, talks about fury poured out like fire. And Eric, you've talked a lot about how God's presence is fire. You know, who can who can stand in the fire? Well, the only ones who can stand in the fire are the ones who have made an effort to be with him and and be you know be closer to him and and uh the wicked certainly can't stand in that fire but those who have chosen to live according to god's will they actually can uh, and it's an interesting thing i don't want to i don't want to belabor this too much but there was just some interesting verses here so uh, verse seven talks about how the lord is good and this is coming right after all this judgment stuff. And there's been a, a phrase that's been brought to my attention over the last few weeks where people will say, God is good, but he's just. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, so it's like, yeah, he, he, he's, he, he's a nice guy, but he's, but he's also just. It's like, no, there's a, there's a disconnect there because justice is not separate from goodness. God is good, and he's just yes you know god is good and he's just so even the judgment coming down is in the goodness of god and verse nine i says affliction will not rise up a second time um you'd have to really read more to get the context here but but that to me felt like sort of almost like a little end times prophetic statement there maybe more so than to um what's happening specifically right there in Nineveh, because obviously affliction comes up 
several times against Israel in times to come. But, you know, once Christ has come again, once the world is made new, once the wickedness has been stamped out for good, it won't come back again. It just won't because we'll, we will all have seen just what it does, what it has done to the universe, what it did to us, and we won't want it anymore, and it won't come back. There's a lot of one-liners in here. There are. I mean, I just, yeah. that's can a... break these things down. Some <laughs> of them read almost like little haikus. I know. Of, of things. Um, but the, thematically, Nahum is saying to the, the Ninevites, your victory will not last forever. There is a God who will judge things. And your end will come. And then he says that in a bunch of different ways, poetically, verse by verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is essentially it. We just There's just like general descriptions of dismantling Nineveh over time. Um, all of their, their strength and their wealth is just going to get torn down. That's really where chapter two kind of goes. And it says it's all to restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. And I was reading that going, why would he make the distinction of Jacob from Israel? So I went back and looked at their name, those names again, just, just on a whim and reminding that Jacob means heel catcher and Israel means he will rule as God. So sort of from going from playing catch up, if you will, to, to being in line with, with God and the way he rules. Verse 13 in chapter 2, Behold, I am against you. Not a message that exactly brings uh, joy and hope. And uh, in this case, though, it is good for Judah, but it's bad for Nineveh. Not something you want you would want to hear God say to you. Chapter 3, the woe of Nineveh. It's a city full of lies and robbery, and they're going to be destroyed because of their harlotries, specifically sorceries, which is something we hadn't really heard about with Nineveh at this point. We'd heard a lot about, uh, you know, Nineveh and the Assyrians, you know, besieging and taking over land and carrying people off and and uh, just sort of dismantling all the other kingdoms around. But it sounds like here specifically there's some sorcery happening, which we'll we'll remember back. And that's a that's a big time um, no from God not not to be involved with that stuff. Interesting note that it seems like their destruction isn't for carrying away Israel. It's because of the sorceries. I thought that was interesting. Not so much for what they did to Israel, because I think it's probably safe to say Israel had not been keeping up their end of the bargain. And so Nineveh and the Assyrians were being basically the tool to take care of that. So they're not they're not being uh, punished for that but rather for the sorceries. You know, there's a lot going on here. Oh, of course there's a lot, but yeah, but not, but yeah, it wasn't so much, it's not so much, it's not so much against, for what they did against Israel though, but for all of the other, all the other stuff. What are you yeah, going to say, Karen? The, the, the where the, the where uh, chapter three ends up is, it's kind of like, this is going to be fatal statement. Nothing mm-hmm. can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hears the news about you clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? That's the cruelty is comes mm-hmm. up again and again with reference to Assyria and Nineveh. Mm-hmm. So there you go. It's, it's a, it's a, Nineveh is going to fall. And this is yeah. a, an interesting sure. thing is that they could read this and they're probably like tomorrow, next week, mm-hmm. next week. And as we as we got into it, we realized that this actually happens quite a bit in the future. And 
but yet it does happen. And this is a theme that just showed up here. And we see it also because in 1 Kings 13, 1 and 2 was that prophecy of, hey, altar, oh, altar, there will come someone, Josiah by name, who it took close to 300 years for that to happen. But it did exactly as it was prophesied. So more than just a future prediction of, of for us, like, oh, exactly what's going to happen. The point I take from this is that when God says he's going to do something, he will do it. You betcha. It may yeah. not be the way we expect. It may not be when we expect. But when he says he will do it, he will do it. And as we look at the Bible as a whole, as Christians today, I see, for me anyways, two clear relevant things. He says, I will be active in your life now. And as Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. And that's the big one in the future that is really worth remembering and thinking about. And there are days when it's like, ah, when's that ever going to happen? Is that seriously going to happen? doesn't seem like that's ever going to happen. Is that we have a Bible full of things God says, I'm going to, this is going to happen. And then they happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like how many people in those 300 years between <clears throat> between the prophecy against the altar and when the altar was actually between when it was actually fulfilled, how many people lived their entire life, you know? And if they had happened to remember that prophecy and be like, "Well, that, that didn't happen. It hasn't happened. Look at me. I've grown old. I'm on my deathbed and that 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 altar is still there. It's still doing its thing." Like Sometimes this takes multiple generations and think about, I mean, we get frustrated. I think nowadays we're kind of impatient. We have short attention spans and whatever. And of course the, (laughs) the internet, now that the internet exists, that has encouraged the, I need an immediate answer or response or immediate satisfaction to everything that I want mentality of people. But it's fascinating to me. If you think back, if you look back over this flow of time, like we're watching, like generations and generations and generations of people looked out their entire timelines, their entire life happened between the fulfillments mm-hmm. of prophecy. And, and that is not their judgment call. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, they didn't ever get to see that it happened. They had to go to their grave, trusting God that it would happen. And we, with the advantage of all of that history unfolded before us, should we should be in a good position to look at what's happening now and feel very assured that the prophecies given for our future will absolutely will come to pass yeah will come to pass and maybe maybe we're seeing things happen that will happen in our lifetime but maybe not and be open to that be open to that concept you know i you know we kind of joked earlier on in the, in the episode today about, you know, everybody hoping that 2021 is going to be, or 20, what are we coming up on? 2022. I barely can remember that we've just passed, uh, passed the century mark as it is. And now it's, uh, two, two decades past that now. But, um, I can remember back as a kid, back in the 1980s, even people going, Oh, I bet Jesus comes before the year 2000, (laughs) you know? And back then it was like, yeah, yeah, I bet you're right. I bet you're right. The world can't get any worse than it is. It can't get any worse. 
And, and that's exactly just what Karen was saying is I think it's, you know, the older generation that watches it and, you know, maybe they see that steady decline where, you know, I think in, in youth, everything is brand new. And, and like Karen said in the beginning, you know, those, those moves away from, from God and what you know are just a millimeter at a time. But I think that that older generation can see that, can see that, oh, things have really changed and it is mm-hmm. getting worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess I would, you know, I would just say, stay, keep your eyes open, remain diligent. If you find yourself in your retirement years and, and Jesus hasn't come yet and you're, you're thinking, how in the world has he not come yet? Just be patient. He'll do, he'll, it'll happen. Because he said it will. No one's uh, waited more than a lifetime. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, generation after generation has thought that they've had it the worst. And, uh, well, I mean, I guess we could even say there's been some generations before us that had it worse than we do. So um, thinking that Jesus is going to come now when things are weird and stupid and dumb, but honestly, <laughs> relatively peaceful, you know, Um we haven't seen my generation, our generation hasn't seen anything like the Holocaust. You know, could it get that bad again? Maybe. Could it get worse? Maybe. Um, but through it all, we know that Jesus has said he's going to come. And so it, it's something for us to hold on to, something for us to look forward to, something us to strive for, to be closer to him constantly every day. Uh, that's uh I guess that'd be one of my greatest encouragements is just remember every day just to ask God for wisdom and encouragement and peace and patience, all that fruit of the spirit, all that stuff, because um, we just don't know when and how it's going to happen. And uh, even though we see things happening today and we're like, whoa, that looks exactly like what the Bible said, except it came in ways that we never thought it would, you know, um, but just remaining patient, waiting for God, you know, like that day is a thousand years or as a thousand years to God. Some people look at that and they think that, oh, that means, you know, we can we can change the uh, the interpretation of of um, the creation story. It's not what it's saying at all. It's saying that God's time and our time. Very different, very different. But we can we can be assured that he will keep his promises. All righty. That was a, I don't know, I thought it was a, a pretty fascinating discussion here that we had. Some good stuff, deep stuff in, in uh, these last few chapters of Kings and Chronicles and and uh, this little this little blurb we've got about Nineveh in the book of Nahum. Next week, it's my plan as I'm looking at the, at the at things right now, we will read the book of Zephaniah, which is another one of those. You're going to skip past it a hundred times while you're trying to find it. It's only a few pages long, but if you found Nahum, just go back a couple chapters, you'll find Zephaniah. And so we'll look at that. And then we're going to start the book of Jeremiah. We're going to, we're going to be out of Kings and Chronicles for a bit because we only have a little bit left in that, but we're going to get into the book of Jeremiah for a while. So we'll look at chapters one through three in that. So the book of Zephaniah and the book of Jeremiah chapters one through three. While you're waiting for that, Remember, you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org with any questions or comments that you might have. And uh, remember, you can find us on Facebook. Be sure you share the podcast with your friends and family. Subscribe to the podcast so we can reach you in your feet each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.
forgot to turn the ringer off on my phone. So that's why we got. Say, I heard something as Star Wars S. <laughs> that's why we got R two D two. Is that what that was? Yeah, that was my. That's my text message notification. <laughs> I'm a nerd. 